Well, many of you will recognize that song you just heard as the theme from The Love Boat. That brought back some memories, didn't it? I mean, I remember when that show was on. And I remember when they first started syndicating it and showing it at lunchtime. I was attending a school just across the street from my home at the time. And so every lunch hour, I'd rush home and I'd watch The Love Boat while eating my peanut butter and banana sandwich. Ah, those were the days. Of course, you remember that show too, right? It was famous for having celebrities guest star on it. People like Dick Van Patten, Steve Allen, Raymond Burr, Milton Burrow was on that, Lonnie Anderson, Tom Bosley, John Ritter, Lauren Green, David Hasselhoff. And some of them even developed recurring characters. I believe Florence Henderson uh, was on the show nine times. And what I thought was interesting was this. The Pacific Princess, the boat that they were on in that, on that show, was a real ocean liner. And real-life paying customers were often used as extras. And, of course, the theme for each episode was just what the name implied, an opportunity for people to find love. This morning here at Sunrise, we're starting a new series called Get Real. And we're going to start by talking about real love. What is it? Where do we find it? How do we experience it and live it? After all, that's what we all want, isn't it? Love is probably the most talked about, sought after, written about, and prized experience in the world. Turn on the radio, chances are you're going to hear a song about love. Just about every movie has love as a main character. Pick up a magazine, you're going to find an article about love. Now to be clear, most of those are about romantic love. And we're not going to be talking about romantic love much here this morning. We'll be looking at that down the road a little ways. But really... Love does not only come into play in romantic relationships. Yes, there is a romantic love. That feeling of big-time tingles, heart flutters, palms sweating, lightheadedness. You know the symptoms. There is that kind of love, but there are other kinds of love, too. You know, I love your shirt. I love my wife. I love this church. I love Star Trek. I love Harrison Ford. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. I love dogs. I love pizza. And yet I love each of them in a different way. Sometimes you love out of familiarity. Sometimes you love out of simple enjoyment. Sometimes you love as a close friendship. And, and there are times you just love unconditionally. There may be nothing in it for you. You know you might get hurt, but you love anyway. This kind of love is an act of the will, not of the heart. It's not an if or because love. I'll love you if you do this, or I love you because of that. No, this type of love is not based on the actions of others. It's a pure, unadulterated, unconditional, no-holds-barred kind of love. It's the kind of love that would lead a teacher to use his own body to shield a student from a shooter, as we've heard about recently in the news. It's a type of love that Jesus commands us to show to others, even to our greatest enemy. Why? Because that's the kind of love that God has for us. A love not based on external factors. A love that He had for us, even as sinners. Now, in the Bible, love is defined in terms of obedience and sacrifice and commitment, never in terms of feelings. Love may be accompanied by feelings, or it may lead to feelings, but love is not feelings. Love is a decision. At least, that's what real love is. And it's this type of love that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 13, when he said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So love, it's a word that we just kind of throw around today and we don't really think about it much. We hear it so often that we've almost become immune to it. It's the kind of thing you can yell while rushing out the door. You know, love ya. I mean, think about the difference between that and when you take the person by the arms, look into their eyes, pause, and say, I love you. That's very different from love ya, isn't it? Even in the church, we can throw around the word love. God loves you, I love you, we love each other, blah, blah, blah. And it can begin to lose its meaning. But I think God wants to wrap you in his arms this morning and look you in the eye and say to you, I love you. I think he wants you to understand that. I think he wants you to experience his love. And I think he wants us to do something with that love. The truth is, love is fundamental to our understanding of God and to our understanding of our relationship with him and to our understanding of our relationships with each other. And so what we're going to do here this morning as we start this, this new series is just stop and reflect on four love lessons. Love lessons. First of all, the first lesson is this. God created you to love you. God created you to love you. The very reason you exist today is so that God can love you. He wants to express that love to you. He wants to pour out his blessings on you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to support you. He believes in you. And he wants to know you. He created you to love you. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Now, he wasn't lonely. He didn't need to create us because he lacked anything. God was complete in and of himself. And yet he still chose to create us as objects of his love. Now, a lot of people have this all messed up. They think that God created them to judge them to condemn them, to make them feel guilty, to boss them around, to ruin their lives. And what a messed up view of God that is. God created you to love you. What an incredible thought. John Wesley expressed it this way. He said, This all-powerful, all-wise, all-gracious being, this governor of all, loves me. This lover of my soul is always with me, is never absent, no, not for a moment. John Wesley grasped that, and when you grasp that, it injects meaning into your life. You are a person of value and worth because you are loved by God. He created you to love you. Now, when it comes to love, remember that God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he said, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Just underline that last phrase. I have drawn you to myself. God took the initiative by drawing you to himself. When it comes to love, God always takes the initiative. God came after Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to Noah, to Abraham, Moses, 
He came to the prophets. He took the initiative and came to earth as a baby as an expression of his great love. Jesus, who is God, came to each of his disciples and chose them to be with him. He came to Paul on the Damascus Highway. And he comes to you even today, relentlessly seeking you out to love you. God takes the initiative. So remember that God takes the initiative. Also remember that God's love is genuine. It's authentic. It's real. You want to get real and talk about real love? You don't get any more real than God's love. In fact, the Apostle John encapsulated that very thought in three simple words. First John chapter 4, verse 8, he said, God is love. God is love. Now, the Greek word used here in this verse in the original language was agape, or agape. And that means a complete, unconditional, unreserved love. That's who God is. And he's proven it to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you might feel like you don't deserve this kind of love. And I'll tell you something. You're right. You don't deserve God's love, and neither do I. But he has decided to love us anyway, with a love that doesn't depend on your goodness or on my goodness. God's love does not need to be earned. If it did, then he would have stopped loving us long ago. God's love is real. It's genuine. And remember that God's love will never fail. In Lamentations in the Old Testament, in chapter 3, It says, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. And it went on to say, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. His love is unfailing. It's steadfast. It's eternal. You never have to worry about God withdrawing his love from you. No circumstance of life and nothing you could ever say or do can change that. His love will never fail. His love conquers all. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't, the angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love will never fail. Okay, so the first lesson is that God created you to love you. His love is genuine. It will never fail. And he takes the initiative in extending that love to you. God created you to love you. The second lesson is that God wants you to love him back. That sounds logical, doesn't it? I mean, if you really care for someone... Don't you desire for them to return that affection? And understand, God doesn't desire a slave-master relationship or an employee-employer relationship. He wants a friendship relationship. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Jesus, God, considers you a friend. That's the kind of close relationship he wants. In fact, there are times when the Bible takes it a step further and compares the love that God wants to have with us to a marriage relationship, with the husband loving the wife and the wife loving the husband. 
Now think back to when you first fell in love. Do you remember how you, how you acted then? If you're anything like me, you probably did some pretty stupid things. You're trying to forget some of the things you did. I mean, I mean, you probably did some things you don't want to talk about right now. You don't know what you were thinking. Anybody have a good story? Anybody want to share? You know, love can lead you to do some rather embarrassing things. But I also expect that you did some things right that helped your relationship to grow. Things like carrying on long conversations with them or wanting to spend lots of time together, you know, thinking about the object of your affection frequently throughout the day, doing what you could to please that special someone, praising them with compliments, showering them with gifts, telling your friends about this most wonderful person you've got in your life. You probably did some or all of those things and they helped your relationship to grow. Well, would it surprise you to learn that you can express your love for God in the same ways? We call it worship, but really it's just expressing our love for God. Spending time with Him, thinking of Him often, giving Him the compliments or the praise that He deserves, honoring Him with gifts, telling others about this great God, and doing things for Him that show your love. One day Jesus was approached by an expert in the law, and this expert asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. Jesus responded by saying this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God completely with everything you've got. God created us to love us, and he wants us to love him back. The third lesson is that God wants us to love each other. Again, it's not about feeling an emotion of love. It's about acting on love. Even if you don't feel love, you can decide to love. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He wrote, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Okay? So, act on love and love will grow, it will develop. Even if you don't feel love, you can act on love. And loving someone is not a one-time good deed. It's a lifestyle. It's showing love in a multitude of ways and doing it often. I like what one young girl said. She said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Well, we already looked at what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, to love God and to love him completely. Coming in second to this commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. But that isn't always easy, is it? And no one ever said it would be. In fact, there are certain enemies of love that get in the way and fight against us loving each other. Let's just take a quick look at three of them, three enemies of love. The first is anger. Unresolved anger will eat you alive and will paralyze you from showing any kind of love. But whether you're dealing with co-workers or family or friends or even people you don't like all that much, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. 
for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. So if there's some anger, even to the point of resentment, then take care of it. If you don't, then it will destroy you and will paralyze you from expressing and experiencing real love. Another enemy of love is selfishness. Selfishness. Always taking and never giving. Or only giving so that you can get something in return. That's selfishness. And it will leave you lonely and isolated. It clouds your motives. It gets in the way of any true expression of love. We are to be a giving, generous people. And so we need to beware of the trap of selfishness. I already told you one thing that C.S. Lewis wrote. Here's something else that he wrote. He wrote, Love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. So selfishness can be an enemy of love. Anger can be an enemy of love. And the third enemy is pride. Pride. It builds walls around you that keeps others out and keeps you from doing what God commands. It refuses to allow you to humble yourself to perform any substantial acts of love. If you're convinced that you're better than someone else, or if you feel like you need to look so important in the eyes of others that you're afraid to assign worth to someone else, then how will you ever be free to demonstrate any real love? To be prideful is nothing to be proud of. And you know, our kindness events that we have here at Sunrise from time to time are great for dealing, for, for dealing with this enemy of pride because a lot of them require us to serve others. People that we may never see again, people that we serve with no expectation of reward. You really have to set aside any pride in order to love someone in a practical way. So watch out for these three enemies. Watch out for anger and selfishness and pride in your life. They'll prevent you from loving others as God desires us to do. And the fourth love lesson is this. God expects us to love the unlovable. He expects us to love the unlovable. Jesus talked about this a bit in Matthew chapter 25. You can read the full passage on your own. But basically, he's telling us that the very way that we treat the unlovable is the way that we treat him. He was telling a parable or a story here, and he said in this story, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then he said, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And went on to say that when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So he's telling us here that, that the way that we treat the unlovable is really the way that we treat him. And you know, for most of us, these are the people that we would tend to ignore or maybe even despise. But they're the very ones that God expects us to love. How? How do we do that? Well, let me give you some suggestions. First of all, decide to love them. Remember that love is a decision. Decide to love them. Act like you love them and the feelings will follow. Because real love may require you to do some things that you don't really want to do. Things that make you uncomfortable. Things that will take you out of your comfort zone. And this isn't being hypocritical. 
when you act on love even when you don't feel like it. It's not hypocritical. This is deciding to love and acting on it despite your feelings. It's acting on real love. You may not always get it right, but strive to get better every day. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, it says, Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey Him. That's a verse in the Old Testament telling us to choose to love God. But I want you to underline or notice here the word choose. Love is a decision. So choose to love. Choose to love God. Choose to love others. Another way to, to start to love the unlovable is to pray for them. You can't pray for someone without developing some degree of love and compassion for them. So pray for them. Even if that unlovable person has hurt you in some way, love them and pray for them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Pray for those who persecute you. So pray for them, and I think you'll be amazed at the seed of love that begins to grow. C.H. Spurgeon said that prayer is the forerunner of mercy. It begins with prayer. So pray for them, and love will develop. And also, see them as God sees them. See them as God sees them. If you want to love the unlovable, then see them as God sees them. And remember this. This is a phrase we were using around here a little while ago. If they matter to Jesus, they matter to me. If they matter to Jesus, they matter to me. And the way I see it is this. If God is God and is completely holy and just, and yet he decides to love me despite all of my flaws and my sinfulness, then I have no right to treat anyone else with hatred or contempt. If Jesus was willing to go to the cross because of his great love for me, then by what right can I withhold love from anyone else? If I declare someone to be unlovable, then I'm essentially declaring myself to be more holy than God himself because God chooses to love them. If God can love them, so, then so can I. The simple truth is people matter to Jesus. Regardless of how good they are or how evil they are, how rich or poor they are, how educated or uneducated they are, how polite or, or rude they are, they matter to him. And if they matter to Jesus, they matter to me. So see them as God sees them. And finally, if you want to love the unlovable, then allow God to transform your heart. This comes last in your notes, but really this is where it all begins. Allow God to transform your heart. What if you really can't love? What if real love is out of your reach? Well, without the work of God in our lives, it's beyond the ability of any of us. Real love needs to begin with the transforming work of God in our lives, teaching us to love. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. But notice how it starts. It all starts with knowing God. Having a genuine love for everyone is a byproduct of knowing God and allowing Him to change us from the inside out.